0: Just so you know, remember, you to the better half? And I keep doing that, and now I'm with a bunch of guys. They start introducing their wife as the better three-quarters. So, we, guys, we've got to step it up a little bit. Got to step it up. A few opening comments, and then I'd like to read the word. We're in 1 John chapter 4, and I've entitled this message, Transforming Relationships. I want us to think through what the word says, but I want to invite the teacher, who's the Holy Spirit, to do his work. And I believe in the written word. I've given my life to it, but I also believe in the living word. And that's where Christ comes and takes his truth. It's what Martin Luther said after the Reformation. The living Christ mediates his truth between the pulpit and the people. So when you hear his word this morning, don't hear my voice. Hear the voice of Christ reminding you, comforting you, convicting you, encouraging you. I uh, called uh, Daryl last week. We talked for about 10 minutes, and a couple things he told me. First of all, 14 people a couple weeks ago made a first commitment to Christ, I heard. Amen? Amen. And if you're here this morning, I want to tell you something from this word that will be most comforting to help you understand that you are truly a child of God. They also said you're in a series of messages about being more missional and talking about John 4 and getting the gospel where people are. And I want to remind you that you are God's curriculum. You are God's manifestation. You are God's incarnation. In a few moments, I'm going to do, ask you a couple questions. And I, I tend to wander. It's not because I'm getting old. It's just because sometimes I like to talk to somebody over here and somebody over there. So don't get intimidated if I get too close. Let's hear the Word of God, and then I'd like to pray for us. It is in First John and you may have it on the tablet. You'll see it come up in a few minutes in the screen. 1 John chapter 4, one of John's epistles. And it says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. For God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let's pray. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, the teacher the one who wrote this word in front of us. And as I've prayed thousands of times for churches, that your saints would be equipped, your kingdom would be extended, and there would be more lovers of Jesus on the planet. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So I've provided a little outline there. Um, I need a third hand because I usually have a hand with the Bible and then I read something. So from time to time, you may see me trying to look for my third hand. I want to start very clearly up front by saying something that is so plain in this passage that you might miss it. Relationships hold the most potential for us to become like God according to his own definition of himself. Relationships hold the most potential for us to become like God according to his own definition of himself. Now, this passage that we look at is often where it says that perfect love drives out fear. If it's your your favorite verse dealing with fear of flying or fear of stakes or fear of crowds, whatever it is, I don't want to take away that. But I'd like to suggest to you that when John is writing this passage, he's writing specifically to a group of people who are insecure and they want to know that God's love never changes. They want to know that they can rest in his goodness. And if you'd like to know that, you could go to 1 John 5, verse 13, where he assures them that we can know that we have eternal life. Transforming relationships. So how do we actually become like Christ? How many people are familiar with Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline? He's written for a long time and continues to write. He has something like... 20 categories, and I put them kind of in columns. And basically, there is pouring and purging. There's certain things we do in our Christian life, like read the scripture, pray, receive fresh infillings of the Holy Spirit, continue to be in Christian community, receive the love of Christ, etc. And then there's purging. How do we actually go through the process of having less of us and more of Christ? This idea of confession and giving, and faithfulness, and uh, going times of fasting. But if you study the Bible cover to cover, let me give you a big, big picture. There's basically four ways, the Word, the Spirit, people, and circumstances. Those are the four ways. And this morning, we're looking first at our relationship with God. But second of all, in this passage, it's very clear that the love of God in verse 17 is made complete among us, that we might have confidence on the day of judgment. So I want to do something, and Will said he'd be my time. Where is Will? Will's adjusting the lights. All right, we're going to do 10 seconds, and I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you go forward or anything, but this is a, this is a little test of the emergent spiritually emergency broadcast system. And if uh, you had to find yourself in the presence of God and talk about what's going on in your life and how you actually have been changed in the image of Christ, don't, don't raise your hand right away. Let's go start 10 seconds and then count it out when you get to five and then five, four, three. So the first question, I want you to name three sermons that transformed your life. Now don't raise your hand now. We're going to do it in a minute. And you get ready? All right. Three, two, one, time. Okay. Now, I'm sure most of you know three sermons off the top of your head. I'm going to do something else that might be a little bit easier. I want you to now take 10 seconds. We're going to do this again. Name three Christians that radically transformed your life. Ready? Set. Go. 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, Three, two, one, zero. Excellent. Okay. Now now we can raise our hand. How many people could name three sermons in 10 seconds that dramatically changed your life? Look, they're around. Look at that. That's fantastic. Now, the second question, how many people can name three believers that radically transformed your life? Okay, look around. So what this passage is talking about is transforming relationships. I've done this dozens and dozens of times, and usually it's about 10%, and I love the Word. I've been trained to preach the Word. The Word has power, but the Word is incarnated through people. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to have perfect curriculum. You don't have to read everything on spiritual formation. You don't have to go to every discipleship class. Right now, your relationships hold the most potential for you to become like God according to his own definition of himself. Now, as we look to this passage, I want us to think about what does this word say we will have, and it's found in verse 17, part B. It asks the second question, why will we have this type of confidence? And that's found in 17C. And where does that kind of confidence occur well, what's interesting, it starts with perfect love in verse 16, and then it flows to the end in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Now, the grand hope is that you and I are becoming like Christ. But let's be honest, there's no area that brings about greater joy and confirmation that when we live outside of ourselves. but there's also... No greater disappointment of failure or shame than that of relationships. It is the crucible that Christ uses to reveal to our hearts and spirits and our actions and our behaviors that he has to still shape some things. But according to this passage, we are made complete among him. It is indeed the trophy of grace that is being polished where he can see his face in us. And if there is a school for slow learners, I'm probably God's favorite pupil. And I never realized that it was relationships in the church, in Christ, that will be the relationships that the flesh will rub against with and the enemy will often try to use to build a wall between us. And at the same time, it is Christ who's in the midst of that saying, I've got something here for you. I've got something I want to do. I pastored First Baptist Church for Foxborough about eight years, and uh, that was before we went into church planting ministry. And uh, I remember trying to reach out to a particular couple, isn't it hard when people leave a church and then they don't talk to you? Isn't it hard when you're in relationship with people you were once very close with and find yourself going in a slightly different direction? That's called loneliness. They haven't changed. They haven't moved. And I remember a particular couple, I had met with him three or four times, I met with her three or four times, I met with them, and I said, we got two options here. Let's go for justice. Anything I've done wrong, I'll take accountability, responsibility, or we can go the way of grace. We'll look at each other's eyes and say, let's go the way of grace here. Let's, Let's open up our hearts and say, Lord, would you take out anything that's a wall between us? Anyway, they left the church, never talked to me, didn't return phone calls or emails. And I get this call to uh, preach a a sermon at a funeral of a dear saint of Christ. And it's uh, right before Christmas. It was the second week of December, and I'm coming in like that door. And this woman was the head of our choir and praise teams and did all sort of things with children. We had on and on and on and on and on. I hadn't talked to her for almost three years. And the Spirit prompts me to say, go over and talk with her. So I, I did what I believe the Spirit was prompting me to do. I walked over and I grabbed both of her hands and looked in her eyes and there's, she's trembling and a tear's coming down her lip is quivering. I, I don't think I'm an intimidating person, but I think there was a lot of pain. And I... Uh, I know it's not perfect grammar, but I believe the Spirit impressed upon me. I said, you know, you and I, we did all these things. I love to preach. I love to lead. Your husband was a a great elder in our church. You were our choir director and praise and all this stuff. We were wonderful performers, but horrible relators. And I think if you boil it down, in the end of eternity, God is not really that much concerned about your performance in the church. What he is concerned about, your relationships with one another. And I love what you guys are doing with building communities. So relationships, and where do we find this? It's right in this passage in front of us. Verse 16. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. So relationships hold the most potential for us to become like God according to his own definition of himself. He doesn't define himself as power could he not he doesn't define himself as all knowledge although he is he doesn't define himself as law or justice or wisdom or creativity could not God said I have created all things and you are in me and I'm going to make you creative could he not said I'm going to make you smart see God is more concerned about heart before he's interested in smart And in this passage, John is giving an assurance to younger believers because they were being bullied by the Gnostics, which I will not talk more deeply about now. And they didn't feel they were smart enough. They didn't feel like they were spiritual enough. They weren't sure if they really fit in. Do you ever feel like you're the less spiritual person in the church? Yeah, I'm less than because you kind of look around and everyone seems to have the words and everyone has the posture and everyone's done things with the Lord that you haven't done and so often it feels like you're so insecure less than, less than, less than and yet this passage says if you are in Christ you are more than because he's in you the hope of glory and he doesn't measure us by all the things that we are looking at so that's the first point I want us to get out. here's the second one the second major truth from this text and you'll see it right there in the second part of verse 17. So we got 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete. And that's a wonderful, wonderful little Greek word. Is the same family as when Jesus died on the cross in Teleste. It's finished. It's mature. It is in fulfillment. It is growing. You will have... Confidence when? Where does it say? On the day of judgment. Kind of an incredible thought, isn't it? You will have confidence on the day of judgment, and then the last phrase, because in this world we are like him. So I want you to think about this among What this passage is talking about is, first of all, our potential to become like God, and then the second part, among us, is dealing with the context, and that word is talking about relationships. Back to my history in Foxborough. It was a church that had split twice, both times pastor starting a church in the next town. We had a grand total of 33 people, and 13 of them said, I'm not going to call you or another man pastor for the rest of my life, quote-unquote. Some with a lot of spray coming out, I almost had needle to spray, others with, you know, red-faced and tight-necked, and I understand, because they said, we don't want another Baptist pope, quote-unquote. And that's not how I'm wired, and that's not my call. And I feel like saying, I've got five years' experience, and I've got a master's degree. And I've been trained to be a pastor. Who the heck are you? You ever feel like saying just something? And then all of a sudden, I didn't say what I wanted to say. I said, you don't have to call me pastor. I'm going to preach the word. We're going to see people get saved. We're going to see marriages healed. We're going to set people see get people get set free from drugs and alcohol. We're going to send missionaries to the field. I'm going to be able to give a witness of farewell to people within this congregation as they enter glory. What I really feel like saying is, and I hope you're in the hole when I say it. (laughs) And my wife knows exactly the people I'm talking about, and that shall renamed. But I didn't say that. I said, those are the things I'm going to do. You don't have to call me pastor. But if someday, over time, you feel that you'd like to call me pastor, and you know what that's called? Living outside of yourself. How many people have had that experience of living outside of yourself? Maybe not my exact experience, but you know that you know that you know you are not reacting as your flesh would react. Now lift up your hand. Okay. Now why is that happening? It's because Christ is in you. You. We are becoming more like him, it says at the end of the passage. And because I know I'm living outside of myself, that means that somebody else is living in me. Amen? And in doing so, it gives us this eternal confidence. So we no longer fear, and this passage I believe is talking about judgment. It's not just talking about whether you want to get on a plane or whether you want to go into a crowd. It's, this is more about eternal confidence than it is personal comfort. But let me say the third thing in this passage. The third phrase talks about the need to grow in grace. Grace. As I said, I was a slow learner, and I'm convinced, it's kind of my own personal theory, that I'm going to be on the planet, and people are going to be on the planet until they're as much like Christ as they possibly can be, and then God will take them home. And so I'm convinced I'm going to live to be at least 180. (laughs) And my wife is saying amen. Amen. But this third phrase, being made complete among us, relationships reveal our need to grow and force us to experience fresh encounters of the Spirit's power. And I don't know if you quote things as a congregation, but maybe you would help me just say, relationships reveal our need to grow and force us to experience fresh encounters of the Spirit's power. Now, it's so simple, it's so biblical, yet it's so profound. And I am so encouraged by your congregation because you're a group that gathers. You don't put up spiritual walls of saying we are in and other people are out, you're calling New England to prayer. You're calling for God to sweep over all those man-centered perceptions and saying, we want to see the work that only God can do. Are you praying that? We want to see not what man can do. It's not based on personality or program or doctrine. It's based on presence. That's what we're after. So much so, my wife and I sold everything we had and we bought a school in Gloucester and it's called the House on the Rock. And many of you have been there. But it's a place of his presence, not of posture, not your position, not how smart you are, not how you have some practice or some doctrine just a little bit better than another church. It's about his presence. And what prepares the way for God's presence is relationships. So I'm going to have a quote from C.S. Lewis that has been very helpful to me. I don't like it, but it's really true. (laughs) And <laughs> C.S. Lewis, um, great writer, it's in Mere Christianity, it's in the chapter that talks about uh, not toys, soldiers, and he talks about uh, how does he know if he's growing, and, and how do we know if we're growing? Well, he says in his journal, he says one of the important lessons to learn about a deeper relationship with God is the depths of our sin and our need and desire to grow closer to Christ. This is called in theological terms our flesh, but it's also our attitude, and I would say our ego. And then he says this. He says, We begin to notice besides our particular sinful acts our sinfulness and begin to be alarmed not only about what we do, but in a much deeper sense, who we are. He says, this may sound rather difficult, so I will make it clear for my own case. When I come to my evening prayers, I try to review and reckon on the sins of the day. And he says, nine times out of ten, the most obvious one is some sin against charity. Charity is the term for graciousness, relationship. Have we been gracious with other people? And he says, I have sulked, snapped, sneered, snubbed, or stormed. You ever do that? That's the 5S club, we don't want to go there. Sulked, snapped, sneered, snubbed, or stormed. But the excuse that immediately springs to my mind is the provocation was so sudden and unexpected, I was caught off guard. I had not time to collect myself. Now that may be extenuating circumstances regarding regard to those particular acts, but they would have been obviously worse if they'd been deliberate and premeditated. So now you're kind of getting inside of your head. You make excuses for lack of being gracious, right? Well, I do. But he says this, on the other hand, what a person does when they're taken off guard is the best evidence for what sort of person they are. Surely what pops out of our mouth before we have time to put on a disguise is the truth. Now, I love this earthy illustration. If there are rats in your cellar, you're most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. Relationships reveal our need to grow in grace and force us to fresh encounters of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to ask you a personal question, and I'm going to wander around a little bit. Is there anybody you hate this morning? Don't relax your hand, it might be difficult. (laughs) And we're not supposed to hate people, are we? God says we're not supposed to hate. So I never admit that I really hate somebody. Is there somebody you dislike? Yeah, okay, we got a few honest people. (laughs) Is there some people that you really wouldn't feel bad if they weren't on the planet? Now, now we're really getting deep. Now, how do I know this? I know because the Bible says we're fallen, but I know it by personal experience. So I'm going to just give you one baby step. Do you ever go into the, a store or maybe a gathering or maybe the church, and you were going to go down this way, and there's somebody over here. I'm, no, no attention. I don't know anybody here. There's somebody over here, and you decide to go this way or you go to the grocery store and you know know you need to go down that one particular aisle and you, you just decide you want to go in the outward aisles and the reason you're doing that is because you want to avoid that person. Now it's real quiet. That's a small step in which God is forcing you to say there's no grace here. So relationships... Force us into fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit, so that we can become more like Him. Relationships, according to First John chapter 4, 16 through 19, relationships hold the most potential for you and I to become like God, according to his own definition of himself. Relationships confirm your conversion. And if you ever lived outside of yourself and you hold up your hand and say, I I know what I would have done if I weren't in Christ and I didn't do that, the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, you are converting. You can have confidence because that's been Christ in you because it says in this world we are like him. And then as we're fairly young in this new year, ask ourselves the question what are our reactions revealing in our relationships and would you allow the holy spirit on this day and throughout this year to say lord i want grace i want truth i want love and when you do that the holy spirit says there's there's my son there's my daughter you're looking a lot like my son I'm looking forward to see you when you come to me in eternity. Would you close with me in prayer? No. Sandy's going to close us, thank you.
1: Well, you can. Okay. Before I do, I just want to um, bless you from the senior section over here. Um, because it's very clear that we've lived longer than many of you. And as I was sitting there, in, in, or as I, actually we were standing in worship, um, I was thinking about how as a young Christian or as a young person, let me say, we run hard and fast because we really want to know. And then when we become a parent, we take that running hard and fast and we get into a posture of really believing that maybe we do know. But now I believe I can speak for all of us over here, that as a grandparent, we're realizing that we're only learning to know. And as we come together in worship, or as we hear the word about relationships, I think one thing that jumps out as a grandparent is that it is about relationships. It is about those people that we ran hard and fast by, and we missed the opportunities. And then as we focused in on a few as a parent, we missed the corporate understanding of what it truly means to be sons and daughters of the true and living God, to a lost and dying world who needs to feel the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. So now as a grandparent, I look back and I say, God, you've given us a big family. And that's the family you're coming back to. And all we bring with us in worship is an alabaster jar and what's in the alabaster jar but our testimony. It's not about our successes, it's not about all we've been able to accomplish for God. It's a testimony of brokenness, it's a testimony of disappointment, it's a testimony of our highs and our lows and ways that we saw God come into our lost and dying existence in a real flesh way and lifted us up and said, but I'm good. My mercies are new every morning. I will be faithful to you and to all the generations that are yet here and to come. And that's our testimony. That's our strength. And that's when we come to worship where we gather together, we lay it down, we pour it at the feet of Jesus, and we say, God, you're good. You're good. Thank you for showing your goodness to me in ways that I never Could have imagined, and I would have run the other way had I known that would have been the journey I had to walk. But you were there, and that's what we carry together. So I want to bless you as a senior. (laughs) Keep running the race, but run it together. We need each other. And you know, when we look around, When Jesus sees, and as this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is here with us, ordering our step, lifting us up when we fall because we do, lifting our face unto the one who owns all and has created all and is with us, so that we would keep our face pressed on him, knowing that it's not about me and my goodness and my ability and my strength because many times I have none of that, but he has it all and he and me, the hope of glory. And as we walk as glory bearers of the true and living God, we're his dream fulfilled on earth. Do you understand that? Whatever you feel when God looks and he walks amongst us, you are the fulfillment of his dream. You need to capture that. It's taken all my life to really see and hear that and believe, begin to believe that it's true. We are the fulfillment of faith on the earth, believing that He is truly who He has said He will be. And I believe as I enter into the day when I will be a great grandmother, that not only will I believe it, I'll know it. And my crossing over will be just a quick, as the Native Americans say, waylay into the eternal existence with God. So I bless you and I'll pray. Sorry, I preached a message. But Father, we just thank you. Lord, as I stand here as one broken with many, I thank you that you're good. I thank you that you're kind. I thank you that you're merciful. And even now in your mercy, tomorrow you'll be merciful. The next day you'll be merciful. I never have to breathe one breath apart from your love. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, sons and daughters of the true and living God. I thank you that we know you. And I thank you that we're beginning to know more about you. And I thank you that we even confess now that there's so much more to know about you and that will continue into the day that we see you face to face and you say, well done. Well done, daughter. Well done, son. You ran the race. You didn't quit. You didn't give up. You leaned upon my Holy Spirit. You didn't deny the power or the reality of the Holy Spirit. You allowed the Holy Spirit to run the race with you. And in that day, we'll rejoice because we see you, the prize. So bless my brothers and sisters here, Lord. Let them see that you're a dream fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven. You're, brothers and sisters, you are his dream. And together we will be his bride. So Father, thank you for this time. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you. You're a good God. Jesus' name, amen. You are
0: if you want to just stand and join us for one last song here as we close out. Let's just declare the goodness of God, yeah.
1: You are good.